Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, your host of the weekly Wake Up With Spirit and have your spiritual nourishment. And this show has been on the air since uh, 2008, prior to being uh, in the Blog Talk platform. We were uh, actually in a traditional studio um, back in the day, and we switched to this platform, and we really have been very happy with um, Blog Talk overall, and we... um, we actually are researching another platform, so you, that may be some of our news soon. Um, but, the, but you can reach us every Friday. We have uh, a different guest on, and there are over 400 archive shows. Now, um, in May, I will be taking that month off uh, for a pause. We're relocating um, Cindy Meyer in the Spirit Seeker offices to Tampa, Florida. It's actually St. Pete, Florida. But um, we will be expanding into that area, adding that to um, one of the, the cities, you know, that has the print magazine. Um, so that's about to happen. Uh, I want to just mention a couple of other things. We're doing an April-May issue uh, versus an April and a May issue because of the move and because of all the changes going on. Um, and you will find the magazine at the Internal Spirit Fair, the end of March in St. Louis. It's March um, 30, no, I'm sorry. I apologize. It's the end of April, April 30th and May 1st. And I will uh, be there as a reader, and then the magazine will be there. And then we will be at the Tampa Body, Mind, Spirit Expo June uh, 19th and 20th, and it's the same uh, situation. So uh, just a couple of other events to uh, announce, and then I'm going to bring my guest on. Um, Spirit Seeker uh, will be, what, what are we adding? We're just adding all kinds of things. The newsletter um, we have the email newsletter, which is weekly. Then we have the magazine, which is normally monthly. And then we have the radio show, which is monthly. Starting in June, we will be taking advertisers on the radio show. We will be doing a lot of cross-promotion with community events across the nation. That's really, uh, we're going more of a national readership. Uh, we have been digital since 1998, so it's not a surprise, but we're just going to be partnering more with communities to get the name out more. So that is what's happening at Spirit Seeker. Um, If you want to know what's happening, you need to join our email newsletter, and then you're eligible for drawings for books and CDs and all the wonderful things that arrive at the doors of Spirit Seeker. We work with uh, publishing houses and authors all over the world. So um, that's how you're eligible for that. So you go to spiritseeker.com. And there's join our email newsletter. And that's really the best way to do it because then you're automatically added to our list um, quickly. Um, We do not sell the list, so you will only hear from Spirit Seeker. Um, We do let people advertise on the list, but, you know, for things that are incongruent with the, uh, the, the values of Spirit Seeker. So you'll find out when the magazine's online, who the radio show guests are, et cetera. And then the final thing I want to mention is that I am offering a, a feng shui vision board class virtually by Zoom, and that will be on March the 24th. And I'm going to I gave you the right date on that. Yes, March 24th. It's 6.30 to 9.30 Central Time. If you are interested in any of this, all you have to do is call the Spirit Seeker office at 636-530-7579 or send an email to info at spiritseeker.com or from our website you can send the contact, um, contact us with any kind of question. Okay, so that is it for announcements. I am delighted to bring uh, my guest on, uh, Reverend Sarah Bowen. I have interview, interviewed her before and had a wonderful experience. She will be talking today on finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. We can all use a dose of that. 
So uh, Reverend Sarah Bowen is an animal uh, chaplain. She's a faculty member at One Spirit Interfaith Seminary. She's the author of the award-winning Spiritual Rebel, A Positively Addictive Guide to Finding Deeper Perspective and Higher Purpose. This book contains um, 21 days of creative spiritual practices drawing from ancient wisdom and pop culture. As if that's not enough, she's also a columnist for Spirituality and Health Magazine and a faculty member at Spirit Interfaith Seminary in New York, uh, New York City. You can find out more about her at sarahbowen.com, and that is spelled S-A-R-A-H-B-O-W-E-N.com. And I am now going to bring Sarah on. And Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm delighted you're here today. Oh, thank you, Cindy. Excited to see what bubbles up for us. I know. So spring is bubbling up for us. And, um, you know, I'm reminded of James Michener, who, you know, he wrote all the big books, Hawaii and Alaska. And then he wrote this little small one, one of the first ones he wrote called The Fires of Spring. And he says that making resolutions in the dead of winter doesn't make sense. He said when everything comes back to life in the spring is is when we have our new resolve and our new resolutions coming back to life with spring. So I think I'd just like to like start with your, you know, your wisdom on um, what we can do to really tap into this energy and just anything you want to share and then away we go. Well, you know, that's really interesting timing because I was just writing something yesterday on reframing Easter. You know, I was raised Christian. I'm a, a rebellious preacher's kid And so, you know, spring for me was always tied up with these frilly little dresses that my grandmother would make for, you know, this tomboy who liked to get dirty. And, you know, in trying to figure out, like, how all of this stuff went together. And in recent years, I've really looked at spring in that idea of what can we resurrect and what got forgotten over the winter? What got put away What did we perhaps forget about? What needs resurrection in that broadest sense, right, from a spirit-based sense? And this year, I'm really tackling my yard. I live in an area of New York that has been covered in snow for entirely too long, (laughs) for my own sensibilities this year. And, you know, as, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, I'm an animal chaplain. I just, I love the, the feathered and the finned and the furry and all of them. And so what I'm really trying to do is think about the environment that I live in. And this kind of taps into what we'll talk about in a little bit with higher perspective and, and deeper purpose. But how do I look at my yard and the area around me as something that supports not just me and my husband and our cats, But everyone who comes to visit, you know, all the birds, all the deer, anyone who happens to kind of wander across our yard, how do I make sure it's safe? How do I make sure that it's got some food for them to eat that's not the stuff that's in my garden, right? Some some extra stuff (laughs) that's off to the side. You know, things like that. So I think that I would suggest for, for those who are listening to think about, you know, what might have been... Um, set aside or put aside in the winter for you if you live in a cold location or if you live in a warm location. But what what got kind of pushed off to the side and you can bring back with new energy, new life, and new intention? That's a really good question. I mean, so many people have been inside more than outside um, with the pandemic. Um, that's inter- I, I have to give that some thought. 
I think I'll journal yeah, about that later today. Yeah, I think that, you know, our lives changed so much. And I, and I think it's going to take us, you know, decades to figure out exactly what just shifted for all of us. And, and I know that we are much more sensitive to needing community, to our connection with nature, to the absence of touch. We've been talking about touch starvation a lot lately. You know, all of these things that we, that we miss. And hopefully we've stayed connected spiritually through this process. But it's also been difficult if you're part of a spiritual community. We're, you know, we're doing a really great job um, being able to use our online platforms. That's been a lifesaver. But I know that we also miss the kind of spontaneity of running into each other in the world. Well, I know, and I'm tired of bumping elbows. <laughs> the, kids, right? the kids bump feet. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I, you know, the first time someone bumped my elbow as a, as a hello, I was like, what in the world? <laughs> but, but then I got it very quickly. I understood. But, you know, I think we've all um, been given an extra dose of quiet. And, you know, I don't know that it's ever been this quiet. I remember when it first, when the streets and everything were emptied, and I I had a consultation. It was a real estate thing where um, I was helping a friend with a renter moving out and someone moving in. I was doing the exit interview and everything. And when I drove there at, I think I met them at 6 o'clock in the evening, and it was in downtown St. Louis which meant bad traffic, right? Oh, no. There was no one on the roads. There was no one anywhere. You know, and my son had the same experience in Chicago. His condo overlooks Lake Michigan, and he, he's, a, he's, um, he has, he's a certified drone pilot. So he took his little drone and sent it out, out the window. He's on the 18th floor and out over Lake Michigan. And the water was so clear from not having people on boats and not having people by, you know, they were fined $500 if they even tried to walk next to Lake Michigan because they were throwing Frisbees and basketballs and it was just bad. It was at the front end. At any rate, the fish, everything was so clear because there was no traffic. And this whole thing has changed us. So I, I really feel like spring's giving us this hope and renewal and feeling of, it's turning, it's changing. I think so. I think I'm, I'm really feeling a shift in hope uh, that people have as well. It used to be really hard to get folks to want to do contemplative spiritual practices and to be quiet. <laughs> we, kinda, you know, we would have conversations with people who would say, I try to sit down on my cushion every day and I just can't do it. And I think <laughs> the ability to be home uh, for some people gave them the structure to be able to be more contemplative and to be more quiet and to be receptive to spirit and, and to listen. And at the same time, I think we're feeling a little claustrophobic and want some noise. So I think it's uh, the Taoist would tell us this is that both and type of situation, right? Where um, we're looking for, for all, we're looking for everything in our experience. I would agree. I think the animals are different, too. I don't know if you've noticed that, but they're very present. Um, that's my, been my experience anyway, and I think it's because people are quieter, and the animals, um, I don't know. I can only speak for my two cats, really, but but other animals that I've run into, they just seem so happy to see people. 
Yeah, I, you know, there's one thing that I worry about a little bit with that. Um, one of my pet projects is what I like to call Sarah B's Roadkill Ministry. <laughs> I'm very concerned with the animals uh, who commute our roads and the shift that's going to happen when we're all driving a little more. Because I think they've gotten, you know, the squirrels and the rabbits and the skunks and, and everyone else uh, has gotten used to us not being on the road so much. And as we return, mm-hmm. I'm urging people to to do so slowly, to, to drive with intention and to drive with mindfulness and not while we're texting or blaring the stereo or things like that that take our attention away. Because there's a lot of risk for animals on the road. Um, something that people don't know is the sheer amount of animals that get hurt. We have about 100 people a day in the U.S. who get killed on U.S. roads. And that's horrible. We also have a million animals a day. It's 400 million a year. So I think that that as we re-enter the world and re-emerge, if we can keep that in mind and drive slowly and scan the roadsides a little bit and think of our driving as spiritual practice, that will help them. Hmm. That's very interesting. Well, and people are... A couple of my friends have posted, did people forget how to drive? Like, what is going on? And I think that... It's so true. But (laughs) it is. I I have to be, like, really aware much more than normal driving in this day uh, in these times. So that's really good advice, though, about being mindful of the animals because you're right. It's been their their area, and then all of a sudden we're going to be cutting through their area again on these roads, man-made roads. Right, and it's spring, so it's baby time. So, you know, mm. we keep our eyes out. I think mindfulness in everything we do as we reemerge into the world is going to be helpful. And keeping, um, keeping kind of an awareness on what's happening inside of us. My husband's a painter, and we had a, he was accepted into a, a, a national art show that we went to an opening for a couple of weeks ago. And it was our first time out in the world, really, in groups of people. You know, I'm usually just like ducking into the grocery store, getting what I need and, and getting out. And we were mm-hmm. within a room that had about 30 people who weren't moving. They were just kind of standing in the center of the room. And I noticed that I started to feel um, really odd inside. I started to feel a little jittery. I was a little nervous about people who were walking too close to me. I realized that, that what is safe has been reset for me. What, what used to be safe mm-hmm. a year and a half ago doesn't necessarily feel safe now. So having a lot of awareness and a lot of gentleness with ourselves of this, this feels safe or this doesn't feel safe or what do I need to take care of myself And so in that moment, I I looked at my husband. He had kind of an odd look on his face, too. And I said, I'm so proud of you. This is amazing. The show looks great. And at the same time, I'm a little uncomfortable. How are you feeling? And we decided that we would, you know, we would leave and we would go stand outside and talk to people for a little while. But, But being able to do that, to not be embarrassed or feel like we have to stay in situations that that don't feel right to us, I think that's going to be a skill that we need to develop. I totally agree. You know, um, I mean, I already, I already had that anyway. Sometimes I would show up and then my, my guys would say, turn around and leave. And if, you know, you know, when you don't trust it, you're like, what? 
but I trust it now, you know, and if yeah. I hear this is probably not the highest thing, I turn it, but, but I know exactly what you mean. I look on Facebook and I see groups of people like on top of each other. And I, and I just am like, this is not normal now. It is not the normal anymore. So I think that, you know, I think, I think we all just have a lot to learn about, you know, honoring one another. And one of the, one of the traditions that I just find so beautiful is the bowing, you know, when people bow to one another. And I, I think that there's a reverence in that. And I think that that is what I'm going to be doing instead of handshaking, you know, just, a, just, you know, maybe my hands on my heart and bowing to someone because I don't want to be right next to people right now. It doesn't feel like um, we're anywhere near that. Hopefully we will be, but you know what? The main thing is, is to what I have found is that the spiritual practices have strengthened me during this. And um, can we talk just a little bit about your 21 day program? Because um, to change, to change neural pathways, we have to have like practice and consistency. So if you'd like to, um, maybe we can talk just a little bit about your book and, um, and, and you can share uh, your thoughts behind how you created that. Sure. So Spiritual Rebel really came out of two things. Um, The first was my difficulty at identifying religiously or spiritually in groups. (laughs) I would go to speak somewhere, and I was using this term spiritual but not religious. And, And that didn't feel quite right because I realized I was doing some things that were religious too. And, and so I thought, you know, what, what really am I? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm this mix and this melting pot of all these different practices and all these different traditions. And I had gone through an interfaith seminary, an interspiritual seminary. And so this idea of spiritual rebel appeared for me of that kind of person who has endless curiosity and creativity, someone that really defines or defies being defined that we have some difficulty really in, in language or in terminology. So I wanted to create this, this kind of open idea of a spiritual rebel is someone that can try things. And then some things you may like and some things you may not, and that's okay. So the book is really rather than a do step one, do step two, do step three, then you're enlightened kind of book. It's more of a try this today, see what it does for you. Notice what happens, notice how you feel, notice what you think. And so each of the 21 days has a different theme to it and a different practice. And this pulls from the world's wisdom traditions. It pulls from pop culture, from philosophies, from science, from all sorts of different places, but without rigidity. So I provide some steps for doing a practice, and then I provide some alternatives. If something doesn't feel quite right for you in, in the regular list of the steps, and then some opportunity to reflect on what that practice did. The different practices have themes as well. So we have on, on Mondays, we do mindfulness type practices. On Talking Tuesdays, we do things that have with speech. On Trekking Thursdays, we do things that are about getting out into nature and exploring and pilgrimage. So it has a lot of diversity in the practices, and, and I also provide a lot of resources for people if something um, really gets them. They're like, this is great. I'd like to learn more about this. Some other ways to go and some reputable and um, useful tools for people to dig deeper. Nice. 
very, very nice. And, um, you know, you just have such a diverse background. I mean, with the animal chaplain, can you talk with, about what that work is like? Because I have noticed, and maybe maybe it's just my imagination, but I don't think so. You know, there, during during the pandemic, I guess because there were so many, you know, deaths, we were aware of other deaths that were non-COVID related. And, you know, a lot of people have left the planet and a lot of animals have left the planet. So have you, what do you do with your animal, um, uh, as an animal chaplain, for, for listeners that may not know what that is, myself included a little bit. <laughs> I, I just sure. I don't know that I've met an animal chaplain. So I'd love to, I, I think this will be fascinating to hear about this work. You know what's interesting about this is people are drawn to this term animal chaplain. There is something I think that people feel in their heart or feel within their body that says, this feels familiar or this feels right or this feels of interest to me. And and so they're interested and then they say, but I have no idea what you do. <laughs> so what you've said, Cindy, right. um, is, a, is really a common response. And and I think what it what it draws attention to is in many of our spiritual traditions and religions, particularly those that we define as the so-called Western traditions. Animals, and and let's just widen that to species other than humans, have been treated in a hierarchy where you know they're kind of below, and humans are on the top, and humans have dominion, and you know that is a a tension for people who have deep love for wildlife or for companion animals that you're not always able to reconcile. You know, I've heard this message, but I feel this other way. And I don't know what to do about, about the tension between the two of those. So one of the things that I do as an animal chaplain is help people understand what our religious traditions really say about compassion for animals. And it's surprising. It's a little different than sometimes the things that we were taught. So there's a piece of human education in there. And then there's also a piece of supporting animals directly. Now, what's fascinating, Cindy, is that animals also have their own capacity for spirituality and their own capacity for a connection with the divine by whatever word we happen to use for that or whatever word they happen to use for that. I often wonder what what words animals use for their thoughts. But they have this connection as well, and that needs to be supported in different ways. So that can be things like helping um, farmed animals who are having stress. That can be things like helping companion animals at the end of their life. I'm present with people uh, when animals are passing to help guide that journey. It can be, like I mentioned earlier, removing animals that are killed on the road off to the side, giving them a blessing, <laughs> apologizing for the way that they were killed and they were left. So there's, there's all these different kind of things that I have my fingers in from, from personally supporting animals to personally supporting humans in their relationship with animals. And then a third thing that has happened is we've actually just formed a spiritual community called Compassion Consortium, and the listeners can get information at CompassionConsortium.org, where we are having an interspecies spiritual community. So that means a monthly gathering. So, uh, you know, I, I keep calling it kind of church-ish. 
since we're interfaith and the word church doesn't always apply to all all people, um, but a way for people who are interested in and interested in the connections between animals, humans, and the planet, which is another big area we could talk about, but to come together and to talk about some of these issues. And in your book, you talk um, about meditating with animals and forest bathing. And, you know, for over a year I did, a, uh, it was a breathing exercise. It was called Vasi Yoga. And it was an hour mm. of very deep inhalation, exhalation, et cetera. There's a lot to it. But my cat would sit there and she wasn't breathing with me, but she kind of was. I mean, she, her, I could see her chest. It started to like, I don't know, she just did a different thing. But she stayed present during this whole meditation, which I found fascinating. You wouldn't think a cat. And at first she tried to hit my phone because I had it recorded until I learned it. <laughs> so she hit the phone because she knew that wasn't supposed to be coming out of that phone. But I find it fascinating that animals, like when we calm down and go into that zen space, so do they normally. It's at least my experience. Not always, but it, but it's you know, often but often they do. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. that I think that two things about that, Cindy. Um, I find, and especially when I'm teaching at at One Spirit at the seminary, uh, we find when we start to do spiritual practice, especially now that we're on Zoom, that all of a sudden you start to see cattails pass by, you see dogs jump up in mm-hmm. students' laps. They, I think, they are interested in our state as well when we calm down. I often mm-hmm. think if you look at the size of my little rescue cat Deacon versus me, I'm like a towering empire state building walking through the living room. But when I am sitting down on the sofa or sitting on my cushion, when I'm tuned in doing a breathing practice or when I'm meditating, I'm more on the level <laughs> that makes him happy. Right? I'm slower. I'm more intentional. My energy is different. I'm not as scary, I'm sure, to him when I'm lumbering through the living room. So I think if we want to connect with other species, it requires us to do so in a mindfulness state, not in a noisy human state. I, I agree. And, you know, my one cat is like almost 17 now, and I think he's not seeing as well. So if he feels a person coming, he'll scoot out of the way. But, and he never used to do that, but, but now he does. But, but what I've noticed is that he wants to be closer now. And I think it's because they've gotten so used to me being home more and, and quieter more. And so they follow me everywhere I go. They didn't used to be that way. Um, I think it's just all a whole different uh, rhythm and, and pace that we're in. But I, too, agree about the Zoom calls. I have seen, like, it's fun to see people's animals. <laughs> because, it is. You know, I think the cats tail. are just taking over. Yeah, the cats are just like, we've been waiting for this forever. Here we are. I had a, We had a woman presenting at the seminary last week um, who had, I looked behind her as she was speaking, and she had all these platforms screwed into her wall, right, at different heights. And I thought, ooh, there's a cat coming. And about two minutes into her presentation, one of the cats showed up, dredged, settled himself um, or herself, I'm, I'm not sure, or themselves, I'm not sure the gender of that cat, but yeah. but showed up and sat on uh sat on and was right over her head almost as if she had cat as seventh chakra 
<laughs> and just kind of yeah. sat there through the whole presentation as if, you know, just as if it was managing or, or guiding, and perhaps it was. But I think that we we have inherited this idea about animals and what their capacities are. And, and it goes back, you know, it goes back to Darwin and to Descartes and to, to all these folks who said different things. You know, we have a legacy that we're trying to unpack ourselves from. And there are wonderful uh, writers who are addressing this from the scientific perspective as well to say animals are capable of so many more things than we give them credit for. It's really our human exceptionalism or human superiority that makes us think, oh, you know, oh, how funny. Look, an animal's meditating. Well, of course an animal's meditating. They are closer, you know, to that that present moment that we're all trying to get to. You know, they're living in that place of present moment, that place of now. And so I think we can learn a lot from them. When I was writing Spiritual Rebel, I, I really noticed a lot of the practices in the world's traditions have that type of connection to slow down, be in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so I think to limit that just to what we can learn from one species called humans really you know, puts a boundary where there doesn't need to be one. So forest bathing is is something that people love right now, right? Go out into into nature instead of hiking and trying to accomplish down. Take in your senses, bathe your senses, see what comes up, see who shows up as well. I know people have been very interested in in spirit animals as well, those type of connections. And I work with people also around connecting to our companion animals that pass. You know, there is a connection that that uh, that remains when others pass on, and how do we how do we tap that, and how do we uh, use that to support ourselves too? Well, why don't we talk about that a little bit? Because um, I I think that people don't understand that just like with our loved ones that have crossed, they're still very much alive and well in our memories and our hearts. But sometimes I think um, people do not realize that they can still have that um, relationship with their dogs and animals on the other side. So is there a particular method that you um, suggest for communicating with your, with your loved uh, animal on the other side or just anything you want to share with that? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. And I think the first thing that we have to do is to resist the idea that some people will give us that we need to uh, let go and move on. I think this is a harmful and a dangerous idea. And we have some support now from, from research studies and from psychologists that talks about the power of continuing bonds and that just to try to hurry up through grief and to put it aside and move on is not actually healthy for us either. So the idea of staying open to there was a connection between me and this being. We are energetic beings. We know that energy never goes away. It just transforms. How can we apply that to the loss of this being? So I do a couple of things with people. One of them is to encourage them to speak 
to, especially after an animal passes, to continue to speak to them. The Buddhists tell us for seven days we should speak with them. It helps the spirit to move on. So to, to light a candle, to sit down, to have a conversation with the being that has passed on, and then just to be receptive. See how you feel. See what you hear. Perhaps journal a little bit. Keep track of, of what's happening for you. And just continue to do that. I have a, a cat named Max, a little ginger that we lost, um, who, who I'm, still, I'm still speaking with, and it's been about five years. But every once in a while, um, I'll also get just a hit of Max. I'll see something, and I'll think, Max. And so instead of going into really a sad place of I miss Max, which is also true, but instead of staying in that place, I just have a little conversation and say, hey, Max, what's up? I miss you. Here's what's gone on in my life for a little while. And I think through doing that, through continuing, you know, we are a species that likes to talk. <laughs> Case in point, yes. you and I here this morning, right? So to continue that conversation, I think the other thing that's important is to memorialize the relationship. And memorialization doesn't mean that it has to end. It just means that we need to mark it as important and we need to see it as reverent. Um, I have a new book coming out uh, called Sacred Send-Offs that has a lot of different practices about how we do that as well. Can we gather for a furry wake? Can we have a place in our yard with an altar uh, where we sit and we remember our pets? There's a lot of different ways to do it. But I think the most important thing, just to wrap this up, is not to think that the most important thing for us to do is to get over it. That mm -hmm. disrespects the relationship and it disrespects the being. I 100% I agree with you. Um, and, and, you know, I had a cat that died while I was on vacation. I had a, an animal sitter, but, you know, it, 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 the cat was fine when she went to work that day. And then, you know, my son stopped by to pick up something um, going away from a weekend. He was, came in from college, and there was the cat. And you can imagine, because I'd been away, but even though I'd hired a cat sitter, I felt terribly, you know, I just felt terrible that I wasn't here when he crossed. And so it was probably three months later and I had continued talking to him, you know, um, but he hadn't visited, but this one night in the dream state, he was there and he was a, a, a Maine Coon ginger, very mm -hmm. emotional. They're very emotional cats. And I felt him, I felt him like swishing around me like he would do. And I, he had, he had a throaty kind of purr that would be when he was really happy. And I felt this, I was in the dream world though. And I'm like, Max, my gosh. And I was so happy and he was happy. And then in the dream, I actually said, Oh, you're not really here. Are you? But yes, you are. And then I just thanked him and, you know, I just felt him and then it was like gone and it was, it was like no more guilt because I had been carrying some guilt, you know, like, gosh, I was gone longer than I thought. Like, I can't believe I wasn't here. And, you know, the, the stuff that you do, even if you know it's not healthy, you know, you try and make up for it or whatever. But it took a while. And, you know, every once in a while, a picture of him will pop up in my like, you know, the memories, you know, seven years ago, whatever. And he was in a lot of the photos because he just loved people and he loved my kids and their friends. Bookkeeper, this is the true story. She would come every Thursday. She had a little mini Cooper and it was like 
Max was an indoor outdoor cat. And so he would see her car up on the street before it turned onto our street. And he would run to the car, like, you know, stay on the sidewalk. Then he'd turn around and run all the way back. And then he would sit on her desk all day long because she patted him. I mean, animals are just very intuitive. They're smart. He would smell the cars and he could know who was coming or who was, who was, who belonged to that car. He matched the people with the cars. I mean, what kind of animal does that? <laughs> I think a lot of them. <laughs> you know, I guess, I, I'm, I'm I struck. I, I'm struck by we both had a ginger cat named Max. Interesting. Oh, I know. What are the chances? I know. There, I know. You know, there's you said spirit it. happening again. But you point out two things in there, Cindy. One is um, sometimes there is a need for forgiveness as well. There, when we lose someone, whether it's a human or it's another species, uh, and they're under the care of a, you know, a cat sitter or a vet or a doctor or someone else, we, we often have a process we need to go through to a forgiveness there uh, because we can hold some concern and some resentment. That's something I, I often do in my private work with, with people who've lost animals as well. And I think the other thing is this idea of a perspective that is deep enough and expansive enough to allow for us not to have to say, did that cat just appear or not? Was that real or not? You know, these, these kind of questions. And, and to focus more on how did that just serve the shift in our relationship now that this being is in the spirit world? So, and whatever that is, I have, I have clients who, who use heaven language. I have clients who use spirit world language. I always say, you know, I'm not sure. I can't tell you 100% what happens till I get there. And I sure hope my cats are there, but I have no idea. But what I do know is that I can keep this connection going, this connection of energy, this connection of spirit with them, and encourage it to keep happening. Encourage them to come in my dreams. Encourage when, even when they come up on something as practical as they show up on Facebook. And then I, you know, I get very angry at Facebook. I'm like, how dare you remind me of my grief? <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, grief, grief is love that has nowhere to go. And so if we can give that love somewhere to go, if we can stay in conversation with these beings, if we can bring them into our spiritual practices, Bring them in when we're sitting out in the forest doing our forest bathing. Imagine that they are there with us. You know, the idea of real versus not real, you know, we can really push that limit, right? I don't even know if the word real is, is terribly useful for us in the spiritual sense, but really push that and, and see how can we keep these relationships going. I, you know, there's just so much with being present with nature. You know, yeah. I... Uh, it, they're our teacher, you know, they, the animals are our teachers. And I think that's why so many people are drawn to shamanism now. They're looking for symbolic meaning to their life. You know, um, I think it's wonderful that you bring so many different, um, you know, different, different ways, different paths, Buddhism, you know, Christianity, all the different paths and all the beautiful traditions, you know, and, um, but, but in our society, it's like, I was a nurse for a long time, and what I found as a nurse and just, you know, continuing as a holistic practitioner is death 
is hard for many people to talk about. And sure, um, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated right now. I, I'm getting. I'm, it's on my radar. I want to train as a death doula. I've always been fascinated with hospice and wrote my first paper on it probably in the early 80s. And then I was reading this fiction book about a death doula. And then this friend of mine that um, I hadn't talked to in three years. Uh, said, you won't believe what I did in those three years. I trained as a death doula, and there's a St. Louis organization now. We're part of a national, and we're part of an international organization. And she said, and I have my first client who, she's 80, okay? She's 80, and she is um, helping a 94-year-old lady die. That's that's her deal. She goes, and she and the the lady's Jewish, and Jan is, and she does prayers with her. She does spiritual work with her. This is all what this lady wants to help prepare to die. She wants to like, you know, she's doing all this this spiritual um, rituals and things, and Jan's the perfect person to do it. And I just am fascinated by all the different things that are coming to be to help people through all different phases of their life, whether it's an animal dying, a person dying, or them dying. I think we've had to. Yeah. And I think with the pandemic, um, there was no way to to escape the way that we often turn away from death and illness and our own mortality. I think that's a piece here. I think that's part of why we try to uh, push away things that are unpleasant. There's such a return now to green burial, to different types Mm -hmm. of home based burial, to different rituals. Uh, that can be done, and to death being more participatory and the celebration of life being more participatory. And that's a great shift. I think that clergy for, um, some clergy for a long time were locked into these uh, different formulas or patterns or things that, that were required or necessary at death, and that's become much more creative and open especially now we do a lot of work at, at one spirit interface seminary on this as well. Uh, we have a lot of people who work as death doulas or who are uh, spiritual counselors for people who are passing, you know, those type of things. I think that there is a, a drive for this. There's, we, we see a lot of books. There's a wonderful book coming out um, in May by Barbara Becker called Heartwood which I highly recommend to anyone listening. She's a, a, good, a good friend and wrote an amazing book on this topic. But the, the idea of how do we not turn away from death? It's part of the mm-hmm. process of life. It's part of, and, and we really do ourselves a disservice if we want to, uh, to turn away from it. Right. Well, I think, I think with so many people not being able to do um, funerals uh i mean a lot of people it's just like weddings a lot of people postponed their weddings but got married anyway and then they're like we'll have a celebration later because you know i mean it destroyed the wedding industry but you know not destroyed but it's been very challenging for a lot of a lot of different people and you know the funerals you know most of them were cremations and you know i mean they did do some traditional funerals i'm amazed but they did but it was done in a different way. So I think that all of this is going to um, affect people in ways where rituals and traditions are changing, you know, where we're finding comfort in different ways. I think so. And I think we're also finding that many of these um, life transitions, as we would call them as clergy, um, have a lot of different 
flavors to them now too because people have widened their spiritual practices and people have more um, awareness of the importance of ritual as well, especially people who are doing earth-based traditions or people Mm -hmm. who want to link and work with ancestors into that, different ways of supporting each other. It's been interesting. I've been doing both funerals and um, weddings during the pandemic and I've noticed that they feel deeper. Um, the okay. weddings have been interesting, too, because they become so much more about the couple and not the performance. And I'm hoping yes. that's something that we, that we keep as well when it becomes about, it comes about love. Uh, funerals become mm-hmm. about love as well. And so there's been, I think, a shift in awareness of our importance on these rituals and how much they mean to us. They can also be things like adoptions or different stages or retirements or different things that happen in our lives, which we want to mark. I do a lot of work with people around um, pet adoptions or, you know, when we have babies that come into lives, we do baby blessings, right, or baptisms or things like this. We can also mark um, when species come into our homes and set that up right there's some work that can be done there too. So I think that if people open to the idea of ritual, that um, there's mm-hmm. a lot that, that can happen there because it's spiritual practice that's communal. That's what ritual is. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I think now more than ever with uh, things are different, you know. I mean, I've talked to so many people, they're like, what day is it? <laughs> I don't I know. Mean, is it Thursday, I Friday? Work. Yeah. <laughs> And, I mean, and I'm a real estate agent, so weekends are always just um, different. You know, I just know you don't plan a whole lot on weekends because it could change, like, uh, you know, very quickly. But, you know, but then I take other time off during the week because I just worked all weekend, right? You know, so it's always different for me. And um, But I think especially during the pandemic, it's just been – I that the rituals are the – the rituals have kept me going. And, you know, it's funny. I'm in this political group that – is we do a lot of grassroots effort. We write postcards. We support local candidates. We we do we work nationally too, and and it's all just you know get out to vote. You know it's it's bipartisan in, in most cases. Um, but you know we do lean toward one party, but it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point though is that we used to meet in person and write these postcards and have and it was the conversations that happened around those postcards. Well now we meet by Zoom. And there's a there's like three different opportunities each week where we can all come together and uh, in different ways. Like Sunday mornings, we share what movies we're watching or what. Um, one time it was, what are you doing creatively? And I was amazed at how many different people uh, that were musically inclined or singers were all like on this call. Like I bet two thirds had um, musical creative events, and it was just and everybody had a deep love for music. So that is really. You know, we all have remarks because we all can feel that, you know, things are shifting. And I bet every single woman in this group has said at one point in the last two to three weeks how much they have appreciated our coming together in this way over the last year and how much of a support it has been. Because we would never have gotten to know each other at this level if we had just met on Tuesdays writing postcards. You know, it's gone so much. Well, we did other stuff too. But you know what I'm saying. It's just all gone in a way that we could never have predicted and we'll never forget. You know, it's when this first started, it was like you will, you will remember who did you shelter down with. And 
you know, for single people, it's not been, it's not been easy in some ways. And, um, you know, the hugs and everything, it's been, it's just been hard to not have touch, but I think it's teaching us so much more. Um, my goodness. Okay. We have, we have about 10 minutes left, Sarah. And I, I know you wanted to talk something about screen equinox or I'm not sure what you wanted. There was something no, you said think, that you wanted to do. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that you've led us to, in, in what you were just saying, Cindy, into this other piece that's so important to me and is part of spiritual revel and is part of, of my work, uh, which is the idea of higher purpose. And that when we, when we are looking at spirituality, as something that's being about, you know, me, um, or is just about our own our own bliss or our own peace or our own, you know, wellness. You know, that's that's one piece of the puzzle, but it's we can't stop there. And I think a lot of the work that that I'm seeing right now, people doing, and what you were just talking about with your group, is this shift from me to we or what we might call pro-sociality, or what we might call a compassionate service, or how do we make sure that we are taking care of and supporting not only our own needs, which I'm, you know, I'm a 12-stepper, so that's important. There, there, I had to learn how to brush my teeth when I got sober. So you know, learning wellness is, is really important. But also, what, what are we doing? What is our spirituality feeding and so I think uh, in, in the book Spiritual Rebel, I, I take people through through a process uh, for trying to figure that out. How do we deepen what our work is to do in the world? But I'm wondering, you know, are you seeing that too? Are you seeing within your groups this um, heightened awareness of the fact that, that we have responsibility to people outside ourselves? I think totally. I, I think that... Um you know, it's just very sweet when someone has had a, had an illness or something, people are like, what can we bring you? Do you need anything? Can we, this is how it used to be. It used to be that yeah. like the churches would do this. If someone was on the sick list, they would bring meals and all this other stuff. But, you know, so I think that, yes, I think that, that people are much more aware um, of other people and their needs. It is more of a we than, a, than an I. I. I agree. I think people are yeah. softer. You know, they're you softer. Make, you make and a good point not, there, not too. With, <laughs> not everyone, but, yeah, you make a point there, too, about the church used to. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that's really salient for me about people who um, are not affiliated with a spiritual community, which is that there were some, there are some things about religious institutions that drive us nuts, and there are some things about religious institutions that we've lost in this individual quest that were important and that was taking care of others within the community. And so I think anyone, um, you know, any one of us who, who is rebellious or is individuated or, you know, kind of on our um, build our own path type of thing really needs to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I feed that piece to, how do I make sure that I'm linking up with other like-minded folks to create communities? And they may not, they may be traditional religious institutions. Uh, many people have multiple belonging, but they're, they may also be, you know, more grassroots type of kind of pop-up groups that, that deal with a particular issue. And so mm-hmm. I think that this sometimes gets lost in our conversations about, you know, being the best me. <laughs> so I kind of want to encourage folks, you know, we also need to be our best we. 
and and how do we how do we make sure we're doing we're doing our part in that well and i think that's where the gardening you know and the 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 people so many people are gardening more people than have ever gardened and i think that's part of this quieting um you know where people People that have never gardened before. I just, uh, my, my girlfriend went out to California and helped her daughter do a 50-gallon, some kind of a tower garden, like with all these things coming out of different things. And it's basically, it'll be providing almost all of the vegetables for the summer. And, oh, how you know, awesome. It's just, I agree. You know, like um, the Zen Center in St. Louis, they've done meditation online. They never did that before, you know, the pandemic. But We've all found these different places that bring us comfort. You know, I'm part of a spiritual book club. You know, we always met in person. But I have to tell you, by Zoom, it's been nice because, you know, like even when I move, I'll still be able to do the club. But, you know, but not once everything's open, then they'll (laughs) they'll be in the backyard of someone's home again. But for now, you know, it's there's these different things that have shown up in different ways for all of us. I mean, look at the musicians who are playing live on Facebook and, you know, reaching more people than, and different kinds of people than they probably did when they were playing in a venue in one city, if you know what I mean. And so yeah. we see, and then the arts, the arts are now, you know, and, and the St. Louis Symphony and other symphonies are playing for free, you know, so that people can hear them because they're still practicing, they're still keeping their, you know, and then they take donations. You know, this is all different ways for all of us to show up. Yeah. Yeah. There's an inclusivity, I think, that also is happening. Mm -hmm. And there's an awareness of who's being left out. And I know we Mm -hmm. each have our piece of that, whether we're working um, against racism or sexism or xenophobia or, you know, whatever. Uh, For me, it's speciesism as well. You know, what is this piece that we're each working on? So I uh, I think we've popped up a lot of beautiful ideas right now <laughs> yes whoops hello are you there huh. are you there oh okay i think sarah may have dropped off oh, she did okay so she'll probably be back um so yes we have covered a lot and i wanted to um uh correct something i gave you the wrong uh website for sarah it is this is sarahbowen.com so it's www.thisissarahbowen.com and sarah is s a r a h b o w e n.com and and she has now popped back so hello sarah we're almost there you know, hi sarah the, <laughs> <laughs> the universe tells me when it's time to shut my mouth apparently uh but this has been oh, lovely funny. talking with you today cindy I feel the same. And I just corrected, I gave the correct website for you. Um, I, I, I put sarahbowen.com, but it's, this is sarahbowen.com. And um, so let's just talk about the spring equinox just for a holy second. It's tomorrow, everyone. Sure. And, um, you know, you, you could just do something simple to honor it. I mean, maybe if you can, go forest bathing. What a beautiful way to celebrate, you know, spring coming and everything coming back to life. But, um, anything you want to add, Sarah? That, that I mean, I know there's different rituals. There's one at Cahokia Mounds if you're in the Midwest, but there's all kinds of different things. But personally, is there anything um, like lighting a candle or anything you want to recommend? Or yeah, I think I do. I sit outside. Um, I do some collection of you know what 
what messages do I need to hear during this shift? I do that anytime for an equinox. So it's the idea of um, being receptive to listening to messages. And I think the other thing is a reminder for folks that as we burst forth into spring, don't clean up your yard too much <laughs> because there's little critters living underneath those leaves and bursting forth. So to be gentle as we come into a new season, to think of gentle practices to usher in rather than bounding straight in feet first. Right. We forget that, you know, we just forget that. And I was hiking with a, well, not hiking, walking with a friend and she said, let's go through the woods because she said in one month from now, she said, there will be poison ivy and sugars everywhere. We won't be able to walk through here. And it's eagle nesting. It was an eagle nesting place. And um, I posted it on Facebook. I didn't see any eagles or any nests, but apparently right by where we were, there was a nest because one of the, um, one of my friends on Facebook saw it and she said, oh, we saw the eagle's nest today. And then another friend who kayaks on that lake all the time said, where did you see it? I want to look for it tomorrow. I mean, this is like, you know, I just think people are very aware um, and, and if you're not, I would encourage it. I, I read this article about a woman who decided to walk um, every single day for one year. And she, she said sometimes it would be 20 minutes, other times it would be an hour, sometimes it would be two hours. But she made yeah. that, that decision, and she, it was because she wanted to strengthen her relationship with spirit. She wanted to be out with the elements and talking to God. Like that's, how she, that's how she described it. And she said after one year, her life was so different. So I think that's much more so, peace, but I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> it's and that importance of regular practice, and I think it's also remembering that this particular event isn't just about the planet and the sun and the moon. It's about everything that's bringing forth life right now. And so, if we can be awareness, if we can bring that into our mindfulness, drive slow, get our meditation on board, bathe in forests read literature about life and about the planet and the, and then and then attack the challenges that the planet's having and that life is having right now and i think those are all wonderful ways to to celebrate and that is a wrap. I just have loved our time together today. And, um, and Sarah did uh, contribute an article in the February issue of Spirit Seeker. And, um, you know, she, she has written for us before. And all of those are archived, spiritseeker.com. All you have to do is go there. And then the, the monthly cover, click on that, and you'll read the current issue. But then um, you'll see the other ones. And then the, the radio shows for the last uh, couple of months are actually on the Spirit Seeker dot com site as well you can just click right on there and listen to them at your leisure if they're podcast the minute the show is over so um and we know you listen because i get the stats for live listens and then i and then i see who listens afterwards and it's really interesting so uh we're just grateful we'll tell others about the show please like us on facebook we have um a spirit seeker radio show facebook we have a spirit seeker magazine facebook and um so like our like our pages because and then like us on blogtalkradio.com forward slash cindy meyer because the more likes we get there um the more they support us with the shows okay so sarah thank you so much and enjoy the spring equinox tomorrow and so Thank you so much. Okay. 